Hello everybody and welcome to November of 1991. In the news this month, Michael Jackson's black or white video premieres on TV. Full House's 100th episode, The Twins Are Born, airs for the first time. Freddie Mercury passes away one day after revealing he had been living with AIDS. The top song of the month is Cream by Prince. And the top three grossing movies are Cape Fear, The Addams Family, and Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Welcome back to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. I'm also your host, Chris. And I'm Eric. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not a host. One day. Just, Where I'm, I'm just sure that guy day. in the background. <laughs> oh, he's here. He's doing the same things we are. He's a host. Just cool. So how do we feel about November of 1991? I'm, I'm happier. Definitely happier. You know what, though? Like, all the rest of the movies were shit except for the top three movies. Yeah, but at least what we had to watch was enjoyable to watch for the most part. The top six movies, but really, but we, we only discussed the top three. So, all right. But I was actually really, really excited. This was so. Uh, the number one movie came out. I guess we're not going to spoil it, right? Beauty and the Beast. Um, we're not going to spoil it. Spoil it. <laughs> no, I'm saying it's not. It's already been spoiled. Yeah, it, it came no, out. Was, I, 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 follow, I follow. So Beauty and the Beast. This was. I was obsessed with Disney when I was a kid because it's all we had as kids, right? Disney. Yeah. The, I mean, you had like some other stuff. You had like the FIFA movies, which weren't good. But no, they, terrible. Like, uh, which actually one came out this month. Not yeah. terrible, but just not. They're not Disney quality. But nothing is even now. Yeah. DreamWorks or yeah. whatever. It's still not Disney. But anyway, Beauty and the Beast, I was infatuated with you know so we went from little mermaid we had who framed roger rabbit not that long ago into the little mermaid into beauty into the beauty and the beast into uh, aladdin i think and then the lion king and then like that was it my world oh I, a whole new world opened up to me a whole new world. nice good job collecting these vhs's remember having them they were in the big kind of rubbery yeah, of course. cases yeah, you had yeah to the have plastic them. case yeah. that opened they stood up out and on the whole rose some of them were different colors for some reason. Yeah, one was white. One right? was orange. Yeah. I don't remember which one, but there was an orange one. I know there was. Probably the lion. Might have been the lion. Maybe the fox and the hound. Yeah, maybe. Your brother was obsessed with fox and the hound. I remember that. I, remember I, I was obsessed with Lion King. Obsessed. Yeah, I had the soundtrack The Lion King. Loved it. <laughs> and... And I believe I was 13 years old, so it was borderline weird. Inappropriate? <laughs> not, in, not inappropriate, just weird. It's still Disney. No. Lion King is a like that's one of like Disney's like top tier. Like they have they're all top tier, but like Disney has its own tiers and it's top tier. Lion King sits right there next to Indian I Beast. guess other people like and today people yeah, would say Frozen's like top tier, right? Yeah, no. I know like we don't but like people today, like the kids today, okay. Frozen's their top tier. My sons, uh, both of them, I don't know if they've ever seen Frozen the in, in in its entirety. So they're boys. Yeah, too. Chris it's and I can't say that we both have little girls. I've seen Frozen <laughs> and Beauty and the Beast at least fifty times this week. Well, my wife took my Wait, daughter I, to see uh, Disney on Ice last night, and my wife said they sat down from the moment they sat down. Where's Elsa? 
Where's Elsa? <laughs> Where's Elsa? <laughs> Wait, so I want to know something. So that you say Beauty and the Beast is on on repeat on in both your houses. Is this because that's what they enjoy or because it's what you've shown them because they're girls? If I have to sit down and watch Disney, there's only so many times I can watch Frozen. So when I'm taking my break from Frozen, it's Beauty and the Beast. Because she enjoys it? Because she'll watch that one. But she won't watch like Aladdin no, or she Lion King. No, not watch Aladdin. Well, she used to be obsessed with Lion King. Yeah, too much. But now, now? she gets scared. So she's because she's uh, at that age now where like okay. she recognizes the death. Right. So it scares her. Okay. But Beauty and the Beast doesn't for some reason, even though the Beast is wild. Well, I fast yeah, forward through the very part. Angry. Well, we'll talk about that later. But there's a part I have. you always have to fast through yeah. one part. Yeah, or two, this is yeah. the conversation for later. Yeah. We're, we're way ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I <laughs> they're I got, already on the number one movie. Yeah. Of the month. There's 16 I got excited about talk about Cap. Sixteen more. All right, I'm just going to kick it off then. Number 16 is, I guess, German, Lieberstrom. Lieberstrom. Just scream it in German. Have to yell it. Scare, scare everybody. All right, uh, grossed $133,000. It's a mystery thriller. Raised as an adopted child, architecture professor Nick Kaminsky returns home to be near his biological mother during her last days. While wandering around the small towns, Nick encounters an old friend, Paul, who's preparing to demolish a store where a couple once died in a murder-suicide. Nick begins an affair with Paul's wife, unaware that their pasts are intertwined with the lurid deaths. It sounds... Like I fell asleep. Because I'm not the narrator that you hoped I was. But <laughs> it sounds like it has like a decent plot. It stars Kevin Anderson, who's been in Sleeping with the Enemy. So right there, I'm probably out. But then... It brought me right back because it has Bill Pullman. Wait, Ben, the one that did the dance with the hose? Yeah, and he, when he was watering the trees. Yeah, and, the and, grass. He, no, not the grass, the no, trees. It was no, trees, he was right. watering trees and like bushes, like full-grown like oak trees. He was watering with a hose. And so yeah. anyway, uh, directed by Mike Figgis. We, we've, we've encountered Mike Figgis before. Remember the, the movie that we both loved, Internal Affairs? I loved Internal Affairs. That was that was like the best movie I ever saw. You know who? Why I loved it so much? Because of Richard Gere. He's my favorite actor. Yeah. You know who else is in that? Is my favorite actor. Richard Gere. No, the other one. Richard Gere. <laughs> Andy Garcia. Oh, oh, I love Andy Garcia. I, don't know I thought you were talking up about on the sarcasm. <laughs> I thought you were talking about Billy Baldwin. Oh, Billy Baldwin's also up there. When when he he was he it was so out of character for him that he was a coke addict, but he somehow made me believe it. Yes, I'm uh, I'm, it's I'm the most claiming. sarcastic thing Kevin's ever said. Why uh, are we talking about episode two of our podcast? Because Mike Figgis is the director of. Are you not paying attention? We're in a podcast about movies. Mike Figgis directed number sixteen that we're talking about. He also did its internal affairs, and then his saving grace was leaving Las Vegas. Outside of that, oh, that's right. That's it. He's done. All right, and I'm done. My turn. Yes. All right. Here's a little ditty you might remember. <laughs> <laughs> Little Back to the Future reference. And you thought your parents were weird. <laughs> That's the name of this movie. All Earning right. $202,590. You got to get every last cent. Don't, don't forget that $90. <laughs> All right. So two boys follow their late father's footsteps by inventing weird and wonderful gadgets. Trouble lies ahead when after a Halloween party, the spirit of their father ends up in the latest invention, a robot. Is this... um? Is this the 1991 version of uh, 
Jack Frost. Of Frost. Jack Frost, the one with Michael yeah. Keaton. That yeah, was, he, he that was supposed into a to be, snowman. It was supposed to be Clooney. <laughs> was it? That's why the snow, if you look at the snowman. It, it looks like Clooney. It looks like Clooney. That's great. <laughs> Good job, George Clooney, turning that role down. No, he accepted it and bailed last minute. He turned it down. No, he, it's not. He that's bailed. not turning it down. He bailed. Different. Okay, well, he got out of it. At yes, there you go. Anyway, this stars nobody. Alan Thicke does play the voice of the dad inside the robot, so that's important. Alan Gr- Thicke. Grandpa despised Alan Thicke with every fiber of his being. Why? I have no idea why. <laughs> I just know that that's a fact. And, and he's like a wholesome actor. And and like grandfather, like like grandson, I despise Robin Thicke. Robin Thicke with a with venomous passion. I despise Al- Robin Thicke. Well. Anyway, let's not Eric, go. have you said anything yet? I'm just listening to you guys just talk about random <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> All right. Are we I'll done? We no, because I, I, I have to say. So this is directed by Tony Cookson. He wrote and directed the movie Love Happens. Now. Well, I love. No. No, it's not what you think of this. <laughs> what was that? Love Happens. What was the Christmas one? Love Actually? Yes. Close, Sorry. close. Different decades. <laughs> so, so Love Happens. All right. The only reason I bring this up is because I was just looking at all his movies because I needed to find – I was trying to find something. And the whole cast just looks like the stunt doubles from Spaceballs. Nice. That's great. <laughs> Literally. You it's like idiots. They, you captured their stunt doubles. <laughs> they all look like the C-rated version of a movie star. Like Just like – that's awesome. You're kind of there, but you're not. One of the women has a mustache. He's yeah. smoking a fat cigar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's good. All right. Eric. All right. Number 14, Kutska. Um, $1.1 million. This drama, mystery, sci-fi. Kafka works during the day at an insurance company where events lead him to discover a mysterious underground society with strange, suppressive goals, loosely based on writings from Kafka, a German novelist from the 1900s. Ready, Kafka. That's what I was thinking. We just talked about baseball. Ready, Kafka. Uh, <laughs> the director was Steven Soderbergh, who actually directed Tra- nice. Traffic in 2000, Aaron Brockovich, Ocean's Eleven. So it's a solid director. Uh, yeah. Your cast is Jeremy Irons, plays uh, Franz Kafka, who we know as Scar from The Lion King, and also Simon yep. from Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, yep. Oh, he also played Aramis in The uh, Man with the Iron Mask, one of the Three Musketeers. Yes. Yes. So I all good movies. Yeah, I like him too. By the way, uh, Kevin yeah. doesn't like Jeremy Irons that much. What? Just Didn't said, you say that. Just once? said he did. Well, those three. I may have said that before, but those three roles are quality. So he just he does have an yeah, Academy yeah, Award. Yeah, saying. he does. Yeah, Kevin's allowed to change his mind back and forth. Um, yes. Also, you got Teresa Russell plays Gabriella, uh, only known for uh, Emma Marco in Spider Man Three. Sandra Van Ryan from Wild Things and somebody else from Nothing Else. So that's that. <laughs> okay. That sounds interesting. Obviously. Coming in at number 13, 29th Street, grossing $1.3 million. A comedy drama, Frank Pesh is the luckiest man alive in spite of his bad luck. Based on a true story, a man growing up in a tough New York neighborhood has a gift for finding himself in the worst possible jams and always getting out of them. He is actually the first New York lottery winner, uh, and that's based on that truth, this story. It stars Anthony LaPaglia, who I don't know who he is, but he's the star. Second lead is Danny Aiello. Hey! I've told my Danny Aiello story before, so I won't do it again. And Frank Pesh, who this story is actually about. 
It's directed by George Gallo, who wrote Bad Boys 1, 2, 3, and 4, Midnight Run, and some others, but that's it. I really wish he didn't write Bad Boys 3 and 4. Well, that's fair. I didn't even know there was a Bad Boys 3 and 4. 4 was just the worst. I heard, yeah, I heard 4 was laughable. Oh my God, it was bad. See, I have the ability to turn it off. Like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I've never seen before, well, just because I'm done. I was in the theater. When? For Bad Boys 4. Okay. Was I going to walk out? Can't yes. Paid my ticket price. I you, walked out. You walk out and you go into another movie, $16 Chris. a ticket. Yes. That's I guess exactly. I could have done that. Yeah. yeah. got to go to another All movie. Right. I just kept waiting for it to get good. It never came. It never, it came. never came. It never came. <laughs> All right, go. Coming in at number 12, Strictly Business, a rom-com earning $7.7 million. This movie is a sharp social satire in which the uneven friendship between an ambitious black businessman and a streetwise pal is thrown into further confusion when the professional falls in love with a mind-numbingly gorgeous waitress. That's all I found. Okay. <laughs> this is directed by Kevin Hooks. Uh, so he's directed a ton of TV, and he's pretty much uh, directed an episode of every single show that's come out since Doogie Howser. So nice. This, this guy's like one or two episodes. Like he doesn't go on this long string, but you know, he's get, he's got his feet wet and everything. Okay. Um, so this is starring, well, the top builds are nobodies. The top build, like four actors. Okay. Nobodies. But Samuel L. Jackson, Halle Berry, and Sam Rockwell are all have small parts. So. I, I, I remember this title, but I, I know I've never seen this movie before. Yeah. Okay. That's it. <laughs> Coming in at number 11. Year of the Gun, grossing $11.8 million. Two Americans, he is a journalist and she is a photojournalist, experience Red Brigade's terrorists close up in Rome in 1978. This is starring Andrew McCarthy. You might know him from Pretty in Pink or Weekend at Bernie's. Sharon Stone. Valeria Galino, which we just did in uh, Hot Shots and Hot Shots. She's also in Hot Shots Part 2. I can't say... Part 2. Yeah, I can't say that. Directed by John Frankenheimer. Uh, he did Ronin. He did The Manchurian Candidate. And a bunch of others, but those are his two main main movies. Well, he also did Reindeer Games, so that kind of knocks him down a few pegs. Listen, um, Gandolfini's in Reindeer Games. How dare you speak? So is Ill. Ben Affleck. I like Ben Affleck. Right. That's my point. Like... Just because a good actor is in the movie doesn't make it a good movie. Whatever. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> All right. Who's up? All right. Coming in at number 10, Highlander 2, The Quickening, uh, bringing in $14.8 million. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I was a really big Highlander fan. Have you seen these movies? I've seen the first one, and I don't get the affinity for it. I don't understand it. Yeah, it, it's very similar to, I would say, Boondock Saints, where like if you love it, you were obsessed with it, and a lot of people didn't like it. So when Highlander 2 came out, we were really excited about this movie, and it was as big of a train wreck as Boondock Saints 2, where you pretend the movie did not even exist. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've never watched the Highlander movies, but I'm a ginormous 
Boondock, Boondock Saints fan. Right. Like, and then when that, Boondock Saints like, 2 came out, you were like embarrassed for life, weren't you? It was the worst I, I, piece I of garbage. I actually never finished that movie. That, I, I mean, it, that, that's like one of the few movies I've ever actually stopped watching. It's one of those movies you pretend just never happened. And that's what Highlander 2 was for Highlander fans. And it's crazy, too, because Norman Reedus and Sean Patrick Flannery were both in the second movie. But yeah, anyway, well, that's way off topic. By the way, no, it's not off topic because in Highlander 2, both um, Christopher Lambar and Sean Connery uh, repeat their roles, and it was just a colossal flop. Quick thing about the movie. Um, Alan Naiman and Connor McCloud develop a shield to protect the Earth from radiation caused by damage in the ozone layer. 25 years later, Earth is dying due to the effects of the shield. Um, terrorists try to destroy the shield. Um and then it also comes out that McCloud and, and Ramirez were actually aliens, which just threw the whole movie off. Like McCloud from the Clan, McCloud. Yeah, Connor McCloud from the Clan, McCloud. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a story about immortals that have to fight and cut each other's heads off to claim the prize. The notes from the actors themselves. Michael Ironside recalls his experience on this movie. Yeah, listen, I hated the script. We did it. We made money, and that's all we were there for. Um, it was going to. Be, I love Michael Ironside. Me too. If it was going to be a piece of shit movie like that movie, I was going to make the most memorable fucking thing in it, and I think I succeeded. That was a quote from Michael Ironside, and Christopher Lambar was so disgusted with the script, he wanted to drop out of the movie, but was contractually obligated and forced him to finish the movie. I heard that they handcuffed him to the camera so he couldn't leave. Practically. They actually, <laughs> That's why all of his shots are close-ups. He actually was quoted by saying it read as if a 13-year-old boy wrote the script. Nice. Nice. Wait, can I tell you something interesting that has nothing to do with what we were talking about just now? Sure. So Sean, pa Sean Patrick Flannery, right? <laughs> Me and my boy Mike Moore from high school, obsessed with Boondock Saints. Watched it a thousand times together. Get drunk, watch Boondock Saints. That was our movie. So he goes on to become a an MMA mindset trainer. Like he trains like yeah, yeah, fighters yeah. to get into the right mindset. Mm. So apparently Sean Patrick Flannery in recent days has gotten huge into MMA mm -hmm. and like learning how to be an MMA fighter. He trains. He trains Sean Patrick Flannery now. That's awesome. The fact that Sean Patrick, that's awesome. Like one of our idols from when we were kids. Did he ever tell him? Did he? Oh, tell yeah, you that he told, he told him. him. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. All right, moving on. Coming in at number nine, all I want for Christmas. I believe this is a Christmas movie. I doubt it. Earning fourteen point eight million dollars. Siblings attempt to bring their divorced parents back together for Christmas. That's what's happening in this movie. Makes me not want to see it. Is this um? What was the name of that Lindsay Lohan movie? The Parent Trap. The Parent Trap. No, it's not The Parent Trap. It's just siblings. They're brother and sister. Uh, the stars Ethan Embry and Thora Birch. She's from Hocus Pocus and American Beauty. Just so you know, she's named Thor because she was born on a Thursday, which is Thor's Day. Oh, Clever. No. <laughs> uh, Kevin Nealon and Le Leslie Nielsen also make appearances. Out. Directed by Robert Lieberman. He directed D3, The Mighty Ducks, so he's a winner. Okay. <laughs> um, so just so interesting tidbit, this grossed less in its entire run than Home Alone made in its first weekend. All right. Also, they really missed the opportunity to have, they by what, eight or nine years probably, to have Mariah Carey sing All I Want for Christmas throughout this entire movie. I mean, I don't know when that song came out, but you're probably right. Uh, but... Who wants to watch a movie that's like, like get the divorced parents back together? Like, I guess they get back together in the end, so it's, maybe it's happy. Kids of divorcees. Right, but also, aren't you selling false hope here? 
Isn't that what Christmas is, bro? Face it, kids. It's two Christmases from now on. <laughs> Yay, double presents. Coming in number eight, Billy Bathgate, pulling in $15.5 million. In the year 1935, a teen named Billy Bathgate finds his first love while becoming the protege of fledgling gangster Dutch Schultz, uh, direct, nice. directed by Robert Benton, who wrote the original Superman in 78 and then nothing else that we would know because he was a director from way back in the day. Before that, yeah, yeah. We, it's not yeah. our time frame. Starring uh, Dustin Hoffman plays Dutch Schultz. Um, who was in Rain Man in 88. And actually, I mean, we all know Dustin Hoffman had a great role. You know, we know Dustin Hoffman, but I also wrote he did, he does Shifu's voice in Kung Fu Panda. Uh, <laughs> just stood out to me. I decided to write it down. Uh, Nicole Kidman plays Drew Preston. She just did Days of Thunder in 1990. Uh, it also has Bruce Willis and Steve Buscemi in this movie, but everything has Steve Buscemi. He has 166 I'm acting credits. <laughs> I'm watching The Sopranos and Steve Buscemi just appeared and I'm really excited about it, but I feel like he's being a little bitch. I don't remember him being in The Sopranos. Yeah, I don't think he has a good role because he's literally like not trying. Oh, to isn't he Tony's brother? Cousin. Cousin came out from jail or whatever. Yeah, Tony's cousin, Tony. <laughs> Clever. Clever name. All right. Coming in at number seven for the boys, grossing $17.6 million. U.S. entertainer Freddie Sparks wants to bring some fun to the soldiers during World War II and contracts singer-dancer Dixie Leonard for help. They become the perfect team and tour from North Africa to the Pacific to perform for the boys. Sounds like I'll never watch this movie. Stars Bette Midler driving the nail in the coffin. (laughs) And James Caan. Stop. I don't care about the movie Stella that we saw and we liked. If you told me now to put Stella back on, I tell you no. Even though I remember saying that I liked it, I'm not watching Bette Miller do anything on any screen ever by choice. Again. So there we go. <laughs> N- not again, anyway. It wasn't, well, it wasn't by choice. It was by force for the podcast. Coming in at number six, an American tale, Feifel Goes West, grossing $20.2 million. So this is a adventure family cartoon. Animation is the word An- you're looking for? Animation. It's a car- cartoon. Still a cartoon. <laughs> a family of mice decide to move out west unaware that they are falling into a trap perpetuated by a smooth talking cat okay all right so obviously this is this, this is this... what we were speaking about before where it's not disney so it's like eh. yeah and the first one was all right yeah but i also, enjoyed I remember... the first one a lot i remember growing up to the first one yeah but I, that was them coming over from germany right because yeah. it's supposed to be a family of jewish mice right like and they're, and they're fleeing nazi germany well, Isn't that yeah, what well their is? last name is i don't Mouse like them Go- perpetuating the stereotype that the germans are evil i'm yeah. german yeah yeah well their last name was mousekowitz they just alluded to it again they're called the the their last name is mousekowitz and i'm pretty sure they're jewish a family of jewish mice fleeing nazi germany and now they're in the united states and now they're deciding to go west i guess for the 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 gold. The gold. I don't know, but that doesn't make sense if they were fleeing Nazi Germany. There's no gold there anymore. It's not 18. No, it's not. It's a sequel. It's, anymore. it's unrelated. So I don't know what's going on. I don't remember. Well, these they movies. just went west of Germany then. In the first movie, yeah, they're fleeing so. cats, quote unquote, the Nazis. Oh. The, the cats right. are like, you know. I'm glad you guys remember this. I don't know this movie at all. So anyway, I used to watch this movie a this lot. This is directed by Phil Nibblink. Uh, he directed The Great Mouse Detective, which is very That's popular. Cool. He's also very into mice. He loves mice movies. <laughs> I didn't even put that together. That's sad that he I also do that. Ratatouille. <laughs> uh, 
Well, that's a rat. Stuart Mice. He, he also did <laughs> Stuart Little. Bro. <laughs> uh, it's also directed by Simon Wells, who directed Balto. That's cool. That's a decent little movie. Martians Need Moms. Okay, well, getting away from this as fast as we can. Well, I just want to say this is a Steven Spielberg movie, so this is what? part of his whole production production company. company. Yeah, so he was very involved in the making of the first one. Uh, he loved the movie, and he was really big on this one. He couldn't get the original director back; they had a big conflict, falling out. So Steven Spielberg was really, really involved in the direction of the uh, voice actors, specifically James Stewart. So James Stewart is like a big time nineteen. 19- 40s 1950s actor he was in vertigo and yeah yeah starred alongside carrie grant and katherine hepburn in uh the philadelphia story yeah, he also wasn't he um the not, main character in the christmas movie no no not jimmy stewart oh this is james stewart different oh, they're yeah. different people yeah i looked into because i thought at first oh this is jimmy stewart but it's not okay um but he has big big time you know like 50s actor vertigo uh, is a great movie i saw that not that long ago I've heard good things. I've never seen it, it's but a I know it's a movie. Yeah, I know it's a big movie. Um, also, John Cleese, who's from all the Monty Python movies, and Amy Irving, who was Carrie in Carrie. Okay. Very good. All right. Coming in at number five, The People Under the Stairs, grossing $24 million. Two of- is this about Harry Potter? It is not about harry potter at, that would be the at, at that would be the Drive. person under yeah. the stairs <laughs> the young boy under the stairs no different uh if you've never seen this movie actually by the way it's a good movie I, I enjoy this movie uh two adults and a juvenile break into their landlord's house occupied by a brother and sister and their stolen children they must fight for their lives trying to get the rumors of gold stashed in the home uh this is a this is a west craven movie um, who, it's a horror, right? It's not though. It's kind of like a thriller, I would say. It's it's. I didn't never found it. I saw this as a young kid first, and it was not scary. Uh, I I think it's more on the thriller side, maybe a little scary, but nothing crazy. Um, you know, Wes Craven, who did uh, the Nightmare on Elm Streets and Screams. Uh, Brandon Quinton Adams plays Fool. He's Kenny from Sandlot, actually, in '93, and Jesse from The Mighty Ducks. And Everett McGills and Wendy Robin both they play the roles of man and woman, and they were uh, actually cast because they played husband and wife in the TV show Twin Peaks. I just remember if you've never seen this movie, I'd recommend seeing it. It's it's kind of scary thriller, and and it's kind of fun too to watch. So I'd recommend watching this movie. It's always nice though when a movie comes up that like one of us recognizes that maybe the others haven't seen because. Based on what you're saying, this is something I'm going to go and want to check out. I've seen this movie, just not in two decades. <laughs> so not since you were 10? That would be 20. I'm now 40. All right, coming in at number four, My Girl, grossing $58 million. A young girl on the threshold of her teen years finds her life turning upside down when she is accompanied by an unlikely friend. If you haven't seen My Girl, are you, you even living? Yeah, yeah, you've had to... If you were born in the 80s or maybe early 90s, you've definitely seen My Girl. Uh, it stars Anna Klumsky. Klumsky? Yeah, that, so it's difficult to pronounce, but she hasn't done anything since, really. Macaulay Culkin, you might know him from a little movie by the name of Home Alone. And Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, and some others. I know this movie only by maybe two or three scenes. Where Macaulay Culkin gets murdered by all the bees. Yeah. And then is, that, is it murdered? It's not murdered. He's bees. allergic to bee stings and he gets like a thousand bee stings. 
murdered. The bees, they all... But remember, he's back looking for Veda's mood ring because she needs yeah. her mood ring. This, is, this, by the way, was probably, if not, is still the saddest movie ever made. Well, the saddest ending, for sure. Oh, also, God, he yeah. can't see without his glasses. He needs his glasses. He can't see. Oh, God. What that was the part. That was the part. His glasses. He was going to be an acrobat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys know this movie so much better than I do. And also, when she slams the door in his face before yelling at him, and don't come back for five to seven days. <laughs> I don't remember that part. I don't remember that part she either. Had, she had her you know, woman time for the first time. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. I remember now. I remember. Um, I will say that I was going to watch this movie today. I didn't have the time, but then I really thought about it anyway. And I was like, that movie's not worth rewatching only because it's you're not going to relive the sadness of being right. a child. Right. Yeah. That's the problem. I don't, I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to, I don't, it, it has really boring moments too. It's cause it's kind of just like the summer in the life of a, of a, like a nine-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, and it ends in terror and just sadness. The nostalgia wouldn't warrant the watch, the rewatch. Yeah, but it's definitely you have to watch it if you haven't seen it before. Right, right. So I feel, I, I feel like my wife would watch this and cry, like enjoy crying watching this. Yeah, that's, that, that's a wife thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. So that's why we don't like wives. <laughs> <laughs> Yet we have them. <laughs> All right. Coming in at number three, by far the best movie of this month. And that's saying a lot because Beauty and the Beast was very entertaining. Cape Fear grossing $79 million. This town is so very nice and everything is just so very, very nice. What? Somebody's out there. What's your connection with this fella? I was his lawyer. Well, it just shattered him somehow, right? And what was he in prison for? No, really. What, but what did you do? Have you been following me? Well, it's a small town. Every way you turn, I guess we're going to run into each other. <laughs> Dad, you should have just punched him out. Yeah, you know how to fight dirty. You do that for a living. This guy, uh, he threatened you? He's clever. So that the law can't touch him. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Do you have a daughter around 16? 16? What? Every good man's gotta wrestle with the devil. Watch the hell off my property! You, sir, will be hearing from the ethics committee. We got this freaking psychopath in our faces. I mean, who knows what's true and what isn't? I'm just losing my mind here. I called the vet, and then he died. Lee, I told you not to let him out. I didn't let him out! I didn't let him out! It would be unethical of me to advise a citizen to take the law into his own hands. You thought about me last night, didn't you? Evening, ladies. Hello. I think we're alone now. Where are you from? I'm from the Black Forest. Maybe I'm a big bad wolf. Do you mind if I put my arm around you? So Eric, did you do you have the same the same intense love for this movie? Negative, negative. I, really? No. You you are the now the the contrary. No, I, you I'm, just, the, you are, I'm you, just against you everything are, Kevin likes. That's it. no. You I are the well, new, okay. Then no. let me just add my piece because I was enthralled with this movie. You are the new me. By the way, once again, I didn't dislike this movie. I'll use Kevin's phrase. It was two hours long. It should have been an hour and a half. 
You know, it was no. That's my opinion. I'm not going to argue. I don't know about an hour and a half. There were there were 15 to 20 minutes that could have been cut from this movie. I thought. I like the slow burn. You have to appreciate what scores. Listen, I this is. <laughs> I'm not going to get upset, agitated, or any of those things. But I, I, I'm going to say this. I I like to when I'm in good hands with a director like Scorsese, right? I want to be taken on a ride. I want the director to do whatever. It's like going out. It's like going to like a, a, th- a two or three star Michelin restaurant. I want the chef to do whatever the chef wants and put it on a plate and hand it to me and for me to enjoy the experience. Same thing here with this director. Do whatever you want. Make it weird. Make it quirky. Make it silly. Make it sad. Whatever you want to do. I want to be on the ride with you. And that's how I felt with this movie. I felt like this, that, with this movie until, until the ending. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But What, because he spoke too much? Too it, much dialogue? No, the dialogue. I love the dialogue. I want all the dialogue. What I don't like are the... You, you, you take a movie that has extremely realistic qualities. All right. And all then right. suddenly you do outlandish things that like just don't need to happen. All right. The entire we're going to get to. Yeah, it. let's backtrack. So I'll let's, agree let's, with you, let's... Kevin, though. Like I did enjoy the ride because the Scorsese did this aspect of building anticipation throughout the entire movie. And and, and it kept adding on to the anticipation as we'll you know, bro, discuss and how the movie went. I, I like that. I, I did not dislike this movie. I just didn't think it was the best movie this month I, I don't know I just think that you talk about the anticipation and you you hit you hit the nail on the head by saying like it's about anticipation but everything in this movie is about anticipation it's not just like oh the scene that this 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 dialogue is about anticipation the music the trumpets the the shots the way they the way they film everything the quick changes in um the quick changes in shots the close ups the I know what you want I and I don't want to cut you off or I'm not dismissing what you say but let's just put a little bit of coherence um um let's put a little timeline to this so first off the plot is a convicted rapist who pl- is played by De Niro is released from prison after serving a 14-year sentence. He goes and stalks the the family and the lawyer who originally defended him, played by Nick Nolte, who Nick Nolte is like, and eh, it's Nick Nolte, but I thought he did a really good job in yeah, this he was movie. Good. Yeah, he did a very good job. Um, young, very young Nick Nolte. Yeah, that that's that's the basis for the movie. And also Nick Nolte had withheld some evidence that the girl that De Niro allegedly raped at the time was promiscuous which i don't i guess that was admissible in court or whatever and de niro learned that nolte had withheld that and now he buried know, hence him spending he buried yeah, the he information buried it, so. so it never came out which could have lightened de niro's him, yeah either, lightened his sentence got him off whatever got him so off, but he was pissed that he hid it from him and from the, the which is actually against the code of ethics for a lawyer yeah so all right so that's how we get to the movie so um de niro in this movie is uh, look i'll take or leave the southern accent i thought it was barely passable yeah it wasn't great but but also looking past that everything the man did in this movie was compelling everything yeah he had me hooked from the second he stepped on screen anytime he said a sentence i was i was i was hanging on everywhere from the tattoos which by the way they weren't real tattoos but they were they used vegetable ink like apparently a vegetable dye, I yeah. know what they called it. So like they they faded after a time, but those are real tattoos for you know all intents and purposes. To the to the sculpted chiseled body of Robert shredded, De Niro, shredded God. De Niro. 
Prison, uh, prison bod. Yeah. yeah. And his just his whole attitude, the 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 aura that he puts off in this movie, it's not even about that accent. Forget the accent. It's just that just his presence in this movie is just it's what you want to see from any actor. It's just he is the person that he's trying to convey. It's not it's not acting at this point. He's taken on that 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 persona and it was fantastic. He was he was enthralling. Every time he talked, you're kind of wondering where he was going next. What was going to like what was going on in his mind and he portrayed it. He did portray it brilliantly. And and all I wanted was him interacting with anybody. Anytime De Niro was on screen, I just wanted him having a conversation with someone. I was thinking about it last night, right? Because there's only one scene where, you know, there's two scenes. There's the scene where he uh, abducts uh, Nick Nolte's, like, not partner. What is she? She's like a, a clerk. He abducts uh, abducts her clerk to, like, and rapes her and, like, like bites her face off. Yeah, and like abuse. Batters her. her. Yeah, almost to death, whatever. Like, I don't. I don't care about that stuff. Like that stuff, yeah, you need it because that's what he is. But it's just him and his conversations that really, really sell the character. His dialogue was brilliant. Well, yeah. and that's Scorsese just, you know, yeah. making sure that everything's set up and the and the tone is there. And also, for anyone who doesn't know, this is a remake of a 1962 film by the same name, and it's the same plot. Just Scorsese redid it. But also, the two lead build actors are in this movie as well from, from the, the original. original. So Gregory Peck played. Um, all right, let me go through the cast. Uh, De Niro plays Max Cady. Nick Nolte plays Sam Bowden. Jessica Lange, uh, who is who? Chris in the new. Oh, she's an American horror story. She plays like the the older woman in those movies. Uh, she plays Lee Bowden, the wife. Juliette Lewis plays the daughter Danielle. Jodan Baker is in the movie. I just like saying Jodan Baker. <laughs> He's not in much else, but <laughs> Gregory Peck is uh, if for those who don't know, is a famous actor. He was Bowden in the first movie, and a gentleman by the name of uh, Fred Thompson. I'm sorry. A gentleman by the name of Robert Mitchum plays uh, Katie in the first one. And also you have Fred Thompson. And I'm going to bring up Fred Thompson every time I realize he's in a movie because he is like the head of NASCAR in Days of Thunder. And I, I just like seeing his face. Uh, again, this is directed by Scorsese. Just a few of his, uh, in my opinion, top movies, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Casino, Gangs of New York, The Aviator, The Departed, Shutter Island, and many, 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 many more. He's got 68 directing credits and 84 um, credits as a producer. He's a monster. So, Eric, I want to do this then. Why Why isn't this movie your favorite? What didn't oh, it's, make it's, you... It's, I, I had only a little problem with the runtime. There was a couple of little nitpick points. It's just, you know, I'm sorry, but it doesn't hold the candle to the greatness and the longevity of Beauty and the Beast. You know, when you're talking about a, you know, a movie that has not lost its power over 20, 30, 40 years, you know, Beauty and the Beast, people, my kids' kids will be watching it. I didn't watch Cape Fear until I had to watch it for the podcast again. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't hold right, it. I can, I can, that's what I'm saying. That's but, all I'm saying. I didn't say Cape Fear was a bad movie at all. I just didn't th say it was the top. I can live with that, but that's not how you made it seem at the beginning. Well, yeah, that's that's also it's a reasonable opinion, and I'm okay with that. But here's what I want to say about Cape Fear. So, 
Well, you're going to talk about movies and films, right? And you can make the argument for Beauty and the Beast being a film for multiple reasons because of the animation for its time and the story and, and with Disney. Look, you can make the argument. But this, Cape Fear, is a film. We have movies and we have films. It's on right? a whole other level. Right, so, I agree with that, 100%. Old, old school, right? One of my favorite movies, Wedding Crashers, one of my favorite movies. Those are movies. This is a film. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of different ways that you could dissect when you come away from a movie and you have questions and not like stupid questions, like I don't understand why this person did, but you have questions on like a character's motive and, and why they, what, you know, what this meant and what that meant, why they shot it like this and all that stuff. That's a film like by way of example. Okay. You have two polar opposites, but they're not really in the sense that De Niro is supposed to embody evil. All he wants to do is inflict harm and pain and suffering to anybody that comes in his path. So he's supposed to embody evil, right? But uh, on the other side of the token, Nick Nolte's supposed to embody good. He's a lawyer. He's a defender, all this stuff. But then we have flawed characters in the sense that Nick Nolte, A, what he did before, which got De Niro's character, Max Cady, put in prison by burying, by burying the evidence. He was a supposed or an implied adult. Oh, he did oh, cheat he on his say, wife. Yeah. yeah, and then almost cheated on her again with the, with the other girl. Right, the clerk. And then the lengths that the man goes to save his family that are outside the law. So he doesn't play by the rules. He tries to he, at first. And, he tries. Yeah, he tries to, but then he's pushed over the right, edge. Exactly. Yes. So so he he's willing to bend the law to save himself and his family, right? He's willing to break the law to save himself and his family. And then on the other side of the token with De Niro's character even though you're supposed to hate him at every turn, you find yourself being finding at least compassion for him when he's being beat up by the three guys. Like you I, feel bad for him that he's in that situation. I, I didn't feel bad. For I him didn't feel situation. bad either. What I what I will say is, well, he, he just raped that girl. For him. I don't think that's the right word. Yeah. No. I think I you can't help but be almost like not wooed. That's not the word I want to use. Yeah, uh, he's be, charismatic he, he, he in just, a sense. Yeah, like his character is so charming like, yeah that's that's the word you're you're charmed by his character he's so he he speaks with such eloquence virility i'll, I'll go Elo back to my statement of the uh you know how the whole movie was like in anticipation because as after dino gets out of prison you don't really know which direction he's going. Is he going to go straight vengeance? Is he trying, you know, he actually alludes to a lot of Bible quotes and that I'm here for your, you know, to, you know, for your comeuppance and I'm going to help you, blah, blah. So you kind of are wondering the whole movie, how far is he going to go until he, you know, kind of rapes that girl, bites her face off. But until then, there was a lot of anticipation and you didn't know which way, you, whether you liked him or not. And then right there, I think that's a big mood change. And then the anticipation keeps growing to how far, how how much further is he going to go? What's next for this guy? And, and this is something I've considered just in my my own life. Just you know, you have weird like I guess quote unquote shower thoughts, right? So like, what if you had an arch enemy that was stop at nothing to do you and your family harm? Like, how far would you take it? Well, you know what I mean? I, I mean, take my family as far as I had to. Yeah. As a father, yeah, you're doing what Nick Nolte did. Exactly. Right. So, you know, I, I also thought that that was a, an interesting take on, you know, just something to portray on a screen. And then you had Scorsese paying homage to the, the 60s or the 50s and the 60s with this movie by having the, I guess, Hitchcock-esque shots 
the weird angles, the colors, the fading into black the and wardrobe. white, and the wardrobe, the smoking, you know, the X-ray uh, filters. Yeah, a lot mm. of it was very fifties esque, Hitchcock esque, uh, and some of the shots I've I saw stills were basically shot for shot from the sixty two version. So you think he was just giving uh, homage? Because there was a couple shots like the slow mo uh, yeah. close up to the wife putting on the lipstick. Uh, yes, it it didn't make sense in the in the film but maybe he was throwing just throwbacks and and, and props to the original but if you've yeah, never that's seen exactly the original that you're kind of like what was i that saw about? clips i saw clips um and and then you know also i'm of the mind too that some some people say you know tarantino steals or whatever the uh, I'm I'm of the mind that a person like Tarantino or a person like Scorsese, they don't steal. They pay homage. Yeah. There's a yeah. difference. They, when they you're take ripping what something... they love and they make it their own and they put it in their movies. And you you have to appreciate that because who in their life does a job and doesn't take from the greats? You're, you're right in saying that. And, and then I guess to expound on that point, like how would you say I love what you did? This is their language. So they're telling the person before them, I love what you did. Here's me saying thank you and showing you my version of. You know what I mean? Right. But I think the difference between Scorsese and Tarantino is when you watch a Tarantino movie without knowing it's a Tarantino movie, you know it's a Tarantino movie. Okay. Scorsese, I think you can take a lot of his movies and line them up side by side and you're seeing like different styles, different ways of making a movie in each of those movies. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you if you take the style of Cape Fear and you put it next to The Departed, per se, like you yeah, wouldn't you say wouldn't like know. you wouldn't you, you wouldn't know if you didn't know they're both Scorsese movies, you wouldn't know. Okay, but all, I I I don't know. Are we disparaging Tarantino right now? Is that what we're doing? No, I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying that I think Scorsese is a, is a cut above Tarantino, and I, and Tarantino's great. And I'm not saying he's not. I'm not prepared to have this argument, so I'll just accept your opinion for what yeah, it is. But I'm not. But again, I'm. That's a whole, not that's a whole Tar- podcast right there, bro. I'm just saying yeah. that I think Scorsese is like he is the 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 best of the best, whereas Tarantino's the best. So you talk about tier one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get into some categories. Um, Eric, what was your best scene? Um, I had. The scene where I, now we're talking about like the uh, almost one of the the end climaxes where they're all waiting inside of Nick Nolte's house. They're they're trying to trap De Niro from coming in because they set a trap that Nick Nolte left for a business trip, and they think De Niro is going to come after the family. And uh, what's his name? Kersek, who's like the hired uh, PI, is sitting there talking to the 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 housekeeper. And the housekeeper. Oh, did. while he while he's drinking Pepto Bismol mixed with uh, yeah yeah right and, and he, wait, wait, no, no. it was a Jim Bean Jim Bean yeah. wait wait the the man's drink of choice he drank it at least <laughs> twice. twice in yeah. the movie was Jim Beam and Pepto Bismol in a glass and he says that's the same father the same drink his father drank too um, and at that scene the the housekeeper turns around and it's actually De Niro with a wig on and uh, proceeds to strangle Kersek with the piano wire that went missing in about two or three yeah. scenes prior. And um, I, I thought that was a good scene. I liked it because it brought together a couple scenes where, he, you know, they, the piano wire was missing and, you know, yeah, the, De Niro was, was already callbacks. in the house. Callbacks, thank you. Yeah, callbacks. Yeah. Yep. Chris, Chris, what was your best scene? Uh, to me, it had to be a, a scene, the dialogue. So uh, I went with when De Niro confronts Nolte while he's in that car. Yeah. And he's just talking about being in prison 
and Nolte tries to like pay him off to leave them to leave his family alone, and De Niro just breaks down like like how the compensation just does nothing for him. Like you, yeah, well, he broke it down per day. He said he said so. He said I don't know ten thousand dollars. He's like ten thousand dollars. How'd you come about that number? He's like, well, I don't know. It just came to me. He's like, well, let's say you said. 30,000 or 50, 40,000 or 50,000. Like, Let's break that down. He's like 14 years is $365 a day. And he does the math. He's like, that's $10 a day. He's like, that's not even minimum wage. So like, he's really like trying to drive. Well, not trying. He's really driving home the point of how do you value a man's 14 years that he believes Nick Nolte stole from him. Right. And, and, and being this sodomized is, the whole time and everything. Yeah. 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 Laid it down and, like a he, formula. Well, he the things he says where I don't know who's who's uh, to credit for it, but the things that De Niro says where he's really makes it blunt that you understand what was taken from him. He says, "My my daughter thinks I'm dead. My wife left me. I I was in I was with people who were less than human for 14 years in an eight by nine cell. Yet he's he said less at than one human. point he's a scumbag himself. Yeah, you know, you're trying to you know, he's making yeah, you but feel bad saying, for him, but he, he should. Yeah, but that's yeah, well, okay, we don't know what happened exactly why, why he ended up in jail. We don't, we're don't. we never really told that he definitely did or did not do what he was charged with. No, no, he did. No, we aren't. Yeah, no, they tell you. He no, had you're sex never with a 16-year-old girl, and he beat the hell That's out of her. That's what he went to jail for. No, the only difference was that the, the pamphlet that Nick Nolte buried had told you that the girl that he did rape and did beat was promiscuous, so it could have right. knocked a little bit I'm, off Fine, of didn't. K- Max Katie never says yes, I did it. But okay. Nick Nolte says I know he did it, and I saw what he did to her. Uh, okay, whatever. Multiple times. Uh, but my point is, this whole scene is where Nolte goes from like I can get out of this to like oh I'm I'm in trouble here. My family's in trouble here, and you can see it on Nolte's face. This is where I thought Nolte did his best job. I thought De Niro was on point. It's just th- that whole scene. I I want to watch it again. It was just everything you wanted it to be. All right, so my best scenes are, I have three of them. One's not really a scene. So the beginning movie theater scene when he's smoking the cigar and, and laughing uh, while watching obnoxiously. Problem Child. Yeah, while watching Problem Child. <laughs> I, I like that scene. That's the first time you're uncomfortable on purpose. Uh, second scene was another uncomfortable on purpose was they were at the theater. Uh, De Niro lures uh, uh, Juliette Lewis's character to the theater in the school. That was my number two scene. That was uh, really well done. Uncomfortable on purpose. The only reason I left that scene out is because I was so uncomfortable when he shoved his thumb into her yeah. mouth. Yeah. That I just, I, I, I don't ever want to watch that again. But like, it's so well done and it does what it wants How to do. How about the fact but- that through my research, I read that that entire scene was ad-libbed and done on the first take. Nice by De Niro, not by the girl. No, both of them. They both that oh, actually really? was supposed to be. Does a, it have to be? It was supposed to be a chase scene through the school, and Scorsese yeah. said, "No, I want it to be an uncomfortable kind of sexual scene." And they sat there, they did that all ad lib, and that's what stuck. Well, Juliet Lewis, I wanted to bring it up before, and I didn't. Um, she's probably underappreciated. Quick uh, runoff of some of her better known movies: Christmas Vacation, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Natural Born Killers, The Basketball Diaries, From Dust Till Dawn, Starsky and Hutch, Due Date, and one of the best little roles you might ever see, Old School. Heidi in Old School, yeah. 
<laughs> so, um, well, and- uh, she got a lot of praise for this movie. So I typed in her name, and the, all that comes up is Juliet Lewis wows critics in uh, Cape Fear, like over and over again. Uh, my last favorite scene was, I guess, the scene on the boat at the very end when De Niro's really losing his mind. So um, I know that's not a scene that's like 20 minutes yeah. of the movie. But all right, worst scenes. I'll go first. Uh, De Niro's phone call to Juliet Lewis. Why was he upside down? I, he was working I, out. I mean, <laughs> he's a prison guy. He I don't mind that. I do mind that because there's no reason for it. Like he's a wild individual. Like he's working out. He was doing sit-ups, hanging upside down while he's talking to her on the phone. But anyway, the reason why I don't like the scene is because of the uncomfortable sexual content. I just I know it was necessary, but I didn't appreciate it. So there it is, Eric. Um, I had two. the The scene where they find uh, Kursak dead after you know De Niro killed him by making him shoot himself in the head. Oh, and, this yes. is terrible. Yeah, Nick yeah. Nolte runs over to him first. He picks up the murder weapon. Then immediately, he, then, immediately, immediately, he's a, he's a lawyer. Yeah, he picks it up yeah. and goes, "Oh, my missing piano thought. wire from my house." And then he slips and falls all into the blood, like that's everywhere. And keeps falling, keeps like falling, comedy. like it was almost kind of like a joke. And then he grabs yeah. the gun, which is the murder weapon, and goes running outside and starts bucking shots into the dark. I understand I was upset that he, at that scene. Yeah, I understand that he was upset, but it was a little. For an educated lawyer to go through those steps, I felt like, what is he doing? Um, so, so, yeah. so for me, like, I'm with you on this. And this is where I had my issues with the movie. It was from that spot to them being on the run. And then De Niro straps himself in the undercarriage of the car. Like, I, it's just so ridiculous. To, it was to, a bit It's silly. a little comical. That, that's what I'm saying. It's it's silly. It's comical. Right. That, but that's my issue with it. And otherwise, like... In an otherwise almost perfect movie, right? right? Yeah. 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 And it just and then the whole while I enjoyed the boat scene, the way the boat crumbles and the way the, like the things just happen in that movie where he gets handcuffed and just so happens that's the only piece of the boat that survives. Like these are things well, that I, did, I, I was I okay with that love. last piece of the boat surviving because he did it for the shot. I was okay with that. Right, the way the boat crumbled was like something was pulling it and destroying it, like a I don't know, some sort of huge like chainsaw it seemed was like tearing yeah. it apart. And then I also I also if we're gonna talk about the imperfections of the movie, which almost every movie has imperfections, De Niro was way too verbose at the very end of the movie. Like he should have stopped talking halfway through some of his his uh monologues. And, just and there were thing. there were a handful yeah. of monologues. Some of them I really liked and some of them I was like, all right, please shut up now. Yeah. I, and, and I agree. That, right. At the end of the movie the monologue should have stopped. The best monologue was after he got beaten by the guys with pipes and, and That was and, good. I liked I like when he's screaming Bible yeah. verses yeah. and, and well, that such. was that that was that monologue. Um but yeah at the at the end it, it was like I honestly believe this is a better movie if De Niro Gets what he wants. Like, no, I, no, I, I, no, really, I like the happy ending. I really, yeah. truly believe. It, it was so. I'm not saying I want that to happen in real life. I'm not saying it's what you would want to happen while watching. I'm saying the movie is better if he wins. I disagree I, because I disagree. they put you they put you through such anxiety throughout the entire movie. You needed the relief of the of the quote unquote good guy winning. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Let, I, I, maybe I'm a sick person but i would have liked to leave if if i if i was scorsese did you yes. notice the filming in that last scene too in the boat in when they're filming 
on the inside of the boat when they're fighting, the boat is flipping upside down. The camera's doing 360s. Yes, I said and then they too. zoom out and the boat's just kind of floating down the river. And I was just kind of really thrown off by the choice of the, the filming there. So uh, my worst role is controversial. It's Juliette Lewis and not for her acting. Her acting was top notch. I just thought through, through a half to two thirds of the movie, she was obnoxiously naive. Like, like, right. uh, like she wasn't, she wasn't on the same. It wasn't the, that's it wasn't the actress. Reasoning. It was the right. It was, it was the, right, it was the, yeah, I agree. I had the same thing. She did a great job right. with the point, but the, the character itself was not too naive. It was too stupid. And, I 100% agree with what both of you just said. So My best role, I think I hope I did something that neither of you did. I thought that everybody did a fantastic job acting. Like, everybody souped the nuts. Um, so my best role is Scorsese, because I think without Scorsese, this movie is not nearly as good as it was. Interesting. I mean, Interesting. I said to Nier, I said to Nier, but I also went the easy way, because obviously he's the most compelling person on screen at all times in this movie. Um, but I like where you went with that. Eric, um, I I like De Niro too. I thought he he capita- he was the man. He did it. I thought also Nick Nolte did very good for what I perceive Nick Nolte to be capable of, yeah. and I thought he stood out too. I agree with you on that, but he's not De Niro. So, oh, absolutely. Right, not. Quotes, quotes. So, uh, Chris, do you have any? I, I not really. I I don't have quotes because it's just it's not one thing that's said. It's it's full pieces of dialogue, that, and I'm not going to sit here and repeat. That's I'm going to help. Dialogue. I'm going to help us out with that. Eric, do you have any but quotes? I have one quote, actually. It's um, it's at the very end where the boat's crashed and uh, Nick Nolte smashing De Niro in the face with a rock. And Nick Nolte's kind of laughing and looks at him. He goes, I guess you forgot about that restraining order because you're closer than 500 yards <laughs> and a- a- yeah. as he's getting pummeled. So I kind of think it showed like his, his character kind of went from being smart and a bad guy to being kind of crazy at the end. Well, you, you said Nolte, but you meant De Niro, right? De Niro was the one saying that. De Niro is the one that said it. Nick Nolte was hitting him in the head with the, the rock. Yes. Yes. Um, all right. So some of my quotes are uh, De Niro's screaming Bible verses and, and such. And uh, in, instead of me doing a very bad job at it, I'm just going to put a couple clips in at this moment. I ain't no white trash piece of shit. I'm better than you all. How can I learn you? How can I read you? How can I thank you? And I can out-philosophize you. And I'm gonna outlast you. You think a couple of whacks to my good old boy Gus gonna get me down? It's gonna take a hell of a lot more than that, counselor, to prove you're better than me. I am like God and God like me. I am as large as God. He is as small as I. He cannot above me nor I beneath him be. Salasius, 17th century. All right. What's next, gentlemen? Coming in at number two, earning $113.5 million. The Adams Family. They're hooky and they're spooky. Aha! Showtime! It's a miserable night. I know, darling. Children, put down that antenna. Uncle Fester, may I have the salt? What do we say? 
now. Unhappy, darling. Oh, yes. Yes, completely. There's lots to learn. Look, children. Scabs. Children, what are you doing? I'm going to electrocute him. I said no. Please. Oh, all right. Don't torture yourself, Gomez. That's my job. Is this made from real lemons? Yes, I'll buy a cup if you buy a box of my delicious Girl Scout cookies. Are they made from real Girl Scouts? This movie is a movie. It's yeah. a kid's movie. Yeah. Let me ask you, though. I, for the first 10, 15 minutes of this movie that I watched it, I was actually pretty excited. I was like, the 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 dialogue yes. between Gomez and Morticia was hilarious. I'm like, oh my god, I'm really about to enjoy this movie, and then it just went flat, and and then it was kind of just here and there for the rest of the movie. But the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, I really it's, liked. It's actually really funny, Eric, because I have the same thing like written down. I'm like the back and forth and the innuendos about death and torture between Gomez and Morticia are amazing, except That's for all it is. It's yeah. all it is. Yeah, it doesn't stop. It's just. Over and over and over and over and over. You can only ride that like, joke so long. Yeah. By 10, by 10, 15, 20 minutes in, I was just like, all right, let's move on from yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you, that's, I, I guess you would have to be from the era where the Adams family was on TV and, and then see the Adams family, the movie, and then have all the, the nostalgia come back for you to really appreciate this. Because how many times, can Wednesday try to kill Pugsley? How many nods back to the family being murderers and witches can we have? I remember being 10 years old and loving this movie. I remember this one and Adam's Family Values, which, by the way, have melded together as the same movie in my brain. Adam's but, Family Values, I think, is better, but I have to see it again. But, yeah, I, there's just so much of this movie that just like was funny the first time and then became annoying because they overdid it. I think what derailed this movie is, is actually the 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 um, dialogue between Morticia and, and um, Gomez is phenomenal. What derails this movie is when they introduce Fester as not Fester and you think he's Fester, but at the same time, you don't know if he's Fester and it just drags through the whole movie and you're like, who is this guy? And, and and at the very end, you kind of you know they figured out, but he is he is Fester, but he, but not really sort of. But he he's is not Fester. That's the no, thing. but he is. But he, he is. is he is at the end. He is a hundred percent Fester, but they, the movie's they, the, the awkward si with it. This is this is the silliness of of their the the inability to figure out the their writing is that the guy that pretended to be Fester actually was Fester and found 25 years before with amnesia, but it turns out he actually is Fester. Correct. And that's what threw this Wait, movie. Wait, they up. said this? Yes. Yeah, at the very at end. The very like the, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was like I'm the last 30 seconds of the yeah. movie. Like, oh, he really is Fester? Goodbye. Yeah. Because I was waiting for that reveal. Because like I kind of thought that was what was going on. <laughs> so my... Yeah. my it, it said six months later, that. they're sitting on the couch, he's talking to Cousin It, and they go, it's kind of like a side quip. He's like, oh, yeah, we already talked about this. Yes, it was Fester. They found them on the beach 25 years ago, which is actually when the original Adams Family show was canceled 25 years ago. 
yeah, I, I well, I'm glad you took the time to look that out yeah, because I, I had I had no zero interest. interest. In, yeah, my I have one note about in about this entire movie. So an hour and what what was it, forty minutes or so, and my one note is about how there's one plot point to the entire movie and it's Fester and everything else. The whole entire movie is is it yes. Fester and will Fester get the tre- their 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 treasure in the vault. Everything else is silly jokes in between. Right, That's right, it. and and it's because what they tried to do is they tried to take a twenty-minute episode an hour, right. and, into and, and, into so the three of seven them. seven episodes of the Adams Family nice. into one movie. Yeah, and. And that's what was annoying about it, right? Because like, it's like running gags on a TV show might be funny because you're watching it week to week. Whereas if you're watching an hour and 40 minutes straight, it's it becomes annoying. All right. Let's hit some topics. Who, who's the actors? We're going to do actors, right? All right. So it's starring Angelica Houston. Uh, she's from The Witches and John Wick 3. Uh, she plays Morticia Adams. You have Raul Julia from Presumed Innocent. Yes. Which is the act- lawyer. Yeah. And he's the best part of that movie. That whole movie was amazing, by the way. But yeah, he was the best oh, no, part no, of that Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I that's the Harrison Ford movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I he's not the best part of that but movie. He but he is he's a good very part. good. Yeah, he's very that's good. when he, they share the drink and he's like, Did you do it? Yeah, I, I just <laughs> I you said presumed innocent, but all I heard was internal affairs. <laughs> anyway, so he's from Presumed Innocent in the Street Fighter and as Gomez Adams. And just so we know, like like three years after this movie, he did Family Adam Family Values and then pretty much fell off the map uh christopher lloyd is uncle fester we know who he is we don't need to go down that rabbit hole uh christina ricci is uh wednesday adams she's from casper uh now and then black Uh, snake moan yeah (laughs) exactly black snake moan now i actually feel like i'm kind of mad christina ricci doesn't have a better career does she not because i know her well and she's she really doesn't like go look at her imdb because the last like 15 not 20 very years profound. are all just like tv she got caught up in some hollywood drama i, I believe oh, all right but because she because let, let's be honest this wasn't a great movie but christina ricci's uh persona persona as wednesday adams was on the money Spot on. and if i if yeah, I'm remembering, spoiler, it's my she's my best role. Yeah, same here. And if we're talking about like her career, you look at Casper, like she plays a different character and she's fantastic. You look at now and then, she's just playing like a 12-year-old girl and does an amazing job. Uh Black Snake Moan. Black Snake yeah. Moan, she's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. She was in like, Fear and Loathing Las Vegas too, right? She was the love interest in the, the girl. I don't remember. No, I don't. Yeah, I, don't I think, think it so. was her actually. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Eric would know better than most. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure she's that, the yes. girl that the that the lawyer picks up, but that's a, a sick scene either way. Any other roles? There's no one that worth talking about. Um, Who's the director? Directed by Barry Sonnenfield. He directed Men in Black and Get Shorty. And this is his first. Okay. Uh, Directorial yeah, this is debut. De- yeah. This is directorial debut. Yep. Okay. Let's just hit topics Do because it. I don't really have anything to speak about. Me neither. This movie. I have very little notes. Look, I, the the other the only other thought that I wanted to to say is that the scenery was done well. I thought the movie was done to the best of their abilities. This is like we said. It's 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 episodic. You you're talking about a TV show that they turned into a bunch of episodes into a movie. You can't really do that very well, and there's there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of plot points to play with. So I thought they did the best. I didn't hate it. I didn't like it. I just thought they did the best that they could do yeah. with what with the material. You know was. what? Though? And it's making me think, and we're gonna come back to it. I'm sure when we get to Adam's Family Values, but that's probably why Adam's Family Values is better than this movie because this movie tried to be that like that episodical thing, 
Whereas Adam Family Values, I think they they move away from they that. They made a movie out of it. And they made a movie out of it. Okay. Um, who's a, well, you, I did my best. Well, let's do best scenes. I have a best scene actually and a worst scene. My best scene was the Christmas play scene with uh, Pugsley and Wednesday when they do like a Shakespearean yeah. sword fight and there's fake blood spurting all over the audience. <laughs> that was the only time but, I, I was like thoroughly entertained. Yeah, but there was movie. there was more blood than an anime. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like it was like Kill Bill volume blood. And, and by the way, Kev, that, that's my favorite scene too. I laughed out loud in that scene. I was laughing. The blood just kept pouring out, pouring, pouring. And all yeah. the... High, like what a prissy rich people in the front row just getting soaked yeah. in fake blood. It was, it was a good, yeah. Scene. And everybody, all all the audience members except for the Adams family are horrified. They stand up and they give the applause. <laughs> I, I thought that that, yeah. that was dumb. That was good. It was good. Chris, uh, my best scene was when Gomez realizes that it's not the real Fester and he's like, he goes and plays with his trains and the whole family sitting there listening to him play with the trains and the, and he's screaming and yelling and they're like, oh my God, oh, he's breaking out the, oh, whether well, he's breaking out the steam engine or whatever <laughs> it is. And it's just like, oh, he's going through this tunnel and it, it, it just, they know this is what dad does when he gets pissed. And <laughs> I yeah. thought that was great. Was was all, that was all right. I had fun with that scene. I don't know. Um, but then in the middle of it, Fester gets flushed out from trying to sneak into the vault. And that kind of ruined it for me. But I like the whole idea of him there's a playing touch, with the trains. There's a touch of slapstick in here. And uh, if you listen to any of our previous podcasts, you know I'm not a yeah, slapstick We're not fan. slapstick people. Maybe Eric is. He might like it. I, I, I do. But and then it, and more, the older I get, I realize I don't, which bothers me. <laughs> he only likes it when someone's slapping his stick. Oh, <laughs> I like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, worst scene. My worst scene is the mamushka scene. It oh. went, on, went on for forever. Yep. Yep. You want to know something? The terrible scene. It's my worst scene. Too. I knew you, you both that scene? the dancing uh, scene. You want to? Know, you don't want to know something about that scene? What? It was supposed to be longer. Please. It was originally twice as long. I want. You know twice. what? Twice. Twice as long. I'm not even gonna go into why I don't like it because I just don't want to have the conversation. Yeah. No, me neither. I don't want to think about it. Eric, uh, my worst scene was uh, pretty much the ending scene where Fester kind of like takes the side of the Adams family and he opens up the the book of the hurricane and it looks like graphics that we could do at home with a tornado in the living yeah. room and they're all kind of flying around in a circle and I, yeah, it, it was just love to get on the CGI. They phoned yeah, in that CGI. They definitely borrowed somebody's graphic card. And then put that I, I will say though, at least it didn't come out of nowhere. Like they built that. That was a. That was the one thing I thought they actually did well. Not that it was that that not the actual graphics of it, but the idea that they had the books. Yes. You sh- them showing you throughout the time that the books aren't just books. That they they actually personify what the book is about. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was good in the sense that there was continuity. There. Well, I'm just going by the visual effects of the scene. They didn't just spring it on you that this is possible. Correct. They right. showed it to you before. All right. Anyway. Uh, best role, I said before, Christina Ricci. Chris agreed. Eric's down. Um, I went uh, both with Gomez and Morticia together. Their the chemistry was just perfect, and, and carried the, right. the film with their with their commentary, not commentary, but their dialogue. I see, and I agree that the chemistry was very good between the two actors, but it's just it was just overdone. The like the, well, the lovey dovey like. Well, well, I'm talking about the characters stuff. themselves. It's perfect. I'm not talking about the writing. I'm not talking about. I'm just talking about them as characters and and you know as roles were perfect 
Uh, which brings me to the worst role, which I don't have any because I could say I could point to anybody in this movie and say that it's the worst role. But I don't think anybody did a bad job acting. I don't think any of the roles were poorly portrayed. I just think that it's a shit movie. So, I mean, I want to say I actually want to say Christopher Lloyd, but he's playing Fester. So, like, yeah. what does he have to do? Exactly. Like, I had the same thought. It's. I want to say Christopher Lloyd, but he's playing, like you said, he's playing Fester. Yeah. He's supposed to be that yeah. stupid. You can, you can like, replace him with somebody else and it's the, the same role. It doesn't change. Yeah. And I thought, I thought that, like you said, Morticia and Gomez did well. I mean, I thought everybody did well. Lurch was cool. The hand thing was cool. Like it was, but I couldn't take an hour and 40 minutes of it. I could take 20 minutes of it. Yeah. Agreed. My, my worst role was, um, Abigail Craven, who played quote unquote Fester's mom, with then she was the German doctor with the German accent. I, I could give you know give or take her throughout the movie, but all right. Uh, quotable lines. I got one when Morticia's talking about uh, how Gomez isn't doing well. She says it's Gomez. He won't eat. He can't sleep. He's coughing up blood. And the girl goes, he's he coughs up blood. And she goes, well, not like he used to. Yeah, <laughs> great line. I had that one down. But- that was good. That was good. All right. My favorite quote comes from the part when they're selling the lemonade and the Girl Scout comes out of nowhere and she's just like, are they made from real lemons? I only drink organic lemonade. And she says, yeah, they're freshly squeezed lemons. She goes, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll buy a cup if you buy a box of my delicious Girl Scout cookies. And Wednesday's just like, are they made from real Girl Scouts? <laughs> that was a good, good, good. good uh, yeah, that was a good quote. Good one. <laughs> Uh, my best line is from, I think it's one of the, the first lines in the movie. Once again, Morticia and Gomez, um, and she's lying in bed looking at Gomez. She goes, last night you were unhinged. You were desperate, howling demon. You frightened me. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also that was like one of the thousand, I like to be tortured, sexual innuendo jokes. Yes. Wait, but it was, it was one, one of the like- first ones. So it was good. Okay. There's another one I like too. And when they tell them that Fester like was found in the Bermuda Triangle, and Wednesday's like, nobody gets out of the Bermuda Triangle. Everybody knows that. And the grandma's like, the human spirit is hard to kill. And so I was also like, even with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. Yeah, that's it. We don't need to talk nah. about this anymore. This movie was. It it might have been fun with the family. It might have been fun with like a ten year old kid. But after, outside of that. Yeah, no. I watched it with Chase, and Chase didn't have a word to say through the entire movie, so I don't think that it plays well. Did you like <laughs> the right. opening, the very, very opening scene with the clock, and all of a sudden, like it was a figure of Morticia came out, and a figure of Gomez came out, and the clock struck twelve, and Gomez's head goes right in, the, in Morticia's breast. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, I missed that. That was mildly entertaining. I noticed yeah. it. Yeah, once again, it was like the first ten minutes of this movie I liked, and then that was it. All right, lastly. Okay, coming in at number one, Beauty and the Beast, pulling in $206 million. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30th full-length animated motion picture. Is anyone here? Mama, there's a girl in the castle. Girl. A girl! The classic story of Beauty and the Beast. He was a lonely beast, cursed by a mysterious spell. And she was the beautiful young girl who could set him and his kingdom free. She's the one! She has come to break the spell! They were two complete opposites. I don't want to have anything. 
anything to do with him. She is being so difficult. Until something wonderful happened. There's something sweet. Straighten up. And almost kind. Show me the smile. But he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined. And now he's dear. You look so... And so unsure. Stupid. I wonder why I didn't see it there before. It's a story filled with fun. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I beg your pardon. Adventure. Sacre bleu. Invaders. <laughs> and dozens of wonderful new Disney characters. Yay! Keep it down. Featuring six new songs from the Academy Award-winning composer and lyricist of The Little Mermaid. This holiday season, share the fun, the magic, and the music of an entertainment event you'll never forget. Disney's Beauty and the Beast. All right, so first off, $206 million speaks to the fact that not only did every kid watch this, but every parent as well, right? Yeah, I mean, for a cartoon uh, to bring in this much money. And you're talking about one of the original Disney movies. Like, I know it's the 90s, so it's like not original, but it's a hand-drawn yeah, uh, this is before animation. this is before Pixar Studios. Right. So, but you see at the end, did, did you notice? I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but at the end, at the ballroom dancing scene, that they brought in some of that CGI. Well, they yeah, started the, to touch on it because right, because the version that's on Disney Plus right now is the remastered version, and you still have that those hand drawn things, but they, they they add to it, right? Well, I remember thinking when I was a kid being blown away by the animation. Even in the opening scene when they layered the cells one on top of the other so the camera could actually zoom in and have things coming past the camera. I was like, whoa, what they, is this? They have that in Disney World. They have it showing you how they do that effect and how they layer it like that. And I remember being a kid like when this came out in 91, I was like seven years old having the VHS at home, eight years old, like the year after it came out. Yeah. And Uncle Jamie, you know, Uncle Jamie likes to draw and him just explaining to me, me being in awe of that, like he's like, this took like 40 drawings per second to create these images. And I'm like, that's insane. Yeah. They like yeah, layer so them I, like on like seven layers or eight layers of glass, right? And it's like a foreground, yeah. middle ground, background, and they take a single picture. Yeah. It's ins yeah. It's insane what they did for these movies. That the see, but here we are. This is what any '90s, '80s, '90 baby will appreciate. That the th we're three grown men with kids, right? And we're sitting here losing our minds over how amazing Beauty and the Beast was, and that it still resonates with us here today. This is the 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 I guess the stranglehold that Disney had on animation and children's entertainment when we were growing up. And it still exists today. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, I know I know you don't appreciate the stuff that's coming out right now, but kids are obsessed with this crap. I don't appreciate it because I don't like that the only fact, the only movies that people get excited about anymore are Marvel movies, and I can't stomach that. Like, I've, I just... I'm not talking I'm about that. I'm bored by it. I'm talking I'm about, about Disney. the Disney movies that have been coming out. Uh, this new movie, Encanto, have you watched it? Yeah, no. seen it twice. It's phenomenal. It's really It's good. phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, I, to tell you the truth, I haven't really been that excited about a disney movie in quite some time Go. i didn't even really like moana that oh. moana's amazing. phenomenal bro probably watch the rocks the know. rocks a bit oh, annoying. moana's amazing 
Coco's amazing. Coco, Coco yeah. is good. Encanto's amazing. I haven't uh, seen it yet. The Frozens are amazing. They're, they're, Disney has got a strong What hold. was... Uh, oh, Soul. Soul's Disney, right? Soul, yeah. Soul's yeah. A, one of the Pixar ones, I think. Yeah, that was... I really like that story. That story was great. It's really good. original It's a good. Inventful. It's a good movie to watch kids... Uh, have kids watch, too, as they're starting to ask questions about, you know, people passing on and stuff. So it's actually a pretty useful movie. All right. So let's bring this back to Beauty and the Beast. Go ahead. All right. Let's. Let, I almost want to go like a like a scene by scene with this because just from the very beginning, I love the storytelling through the use of stained glass windows. Yeah, that was real. And, and think about all the effort that that took to draw. Yeah, it's just it's it's just like such an interesting way to to give the exposition needed for the for the movie. Yeah, I love the story itself of Beauty and the Beast and how you know, what happened. Well, well let's, why don't we tell the plot while we're here? I so. think everybody knows the plot. I think we I th- we got to give it anyway, don't we? Stockholm syndrome. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob's ladder. <laughs> Schindler's list. <laughs> No, but it is Stockholm syndrome. It's exactly what it is. Prisoner falls in love with their captor. Yeah, I understand that, but that's but he got so a, a witch came to his house, uh, disguised herself as an ugly old woman, asked for shelter. The guy turned, the prince turns her away. She in turn turns him into a beast, an ugly beast, saying that unless you can find love looking like you do by your twenty first birthday, you're gonna stay looking like this for the rest of your life. And then let's talk about how harsh tale. of a punishment that is, because she didn't just also she wasn't invited. No, and not only that, but like the the whole staff didn't do anything wrong. Who is she? Jesus Christ, she's just going along judging people who didn't ask to be judged. Listen, lady. How about listen. The fact that Get off your high horse, witch. Think about this. She punished him and said not until you're 21 and years passed. So she punished a teenager for being a dick. All teenagers are dicks. <laughs> so, I mean, it was kind of unnecessary. Yeah, it's very aggressive. Anyway, so here we are. Do we have... Look, you know, I, I wanted to tell this story, too. I was waiting until we got onto the, onto the podcast. I never had any idea who played any, who voiced any of these characters. None of them, not a single one. And I was very concerned that it was going, once I looked these characters up for the podcast, that it was going to somehow make this movie less enjoyable or lovable for me. Come to find out, I don't know a single one of these people uh, who voiced these characters except for Angela Lansbury, who voices Mrs. Potts. Right. Yeah, th- there's no there's no big-name person. This is back when Disney was doing it right. They would find the person that fit the character, not necessarily try and use a star. To, now it's everyone is, is someone famous or someone who's a famous singer that does all these parts. The cool thing is the, the girl who plays Belle, Paige O'Hare, she has voiced every single bell in every Disney anything, small shorts, anything. But you you know you know that's how Disney does it though, right? Yeah, well, that's solid. But that's she, solid. She's made she's made the most lucrative career out of one person yeah. ever. Now the only way that doesn't happen is if the voice actor doesn't want to do it anymore. So and they don't just do that with their voice actors. As a matter of fact, my brother-in-law who has played. Oh no! I'm sorry. He doesn't. He he knows the characters because yeah, he's not supposed to to know. But anyway, he did Flynn Rider in the parks, and he was the number one live action Flynn Rider for Disney. Anytime they would do anything that would be televised or recorded, they would have to fly him That's awesome. to go and do it. Now that it was Flynn Rider, so it wasn't that big of a deal. So they never really did anything with him. Yeah. But if they were ever going to do something, it had to be him that was the the person that was going to be on TV or something because he was the number one. That's cool. Yeah. I like I see, but that's that's attention to detail that makes a person pay attention. Uh, you know, 
you know, you could take shortcuts and be like, oh, we'll just throw any Joe Schmo in. Who cares? It's only a, you know, it's ancillary character. But Disney, you know, takes the time to pay attention. It's about keeping the magic, right? Yes. The, the whole idea is like they don't want a kid seeing the differences between this person playing Flynn Rider and that person playing Flynn Rider. Like, no, it, it really is Flynn Rider because it's the same person. Yeah. And that's why they do the whole thing where there's only one Mickey ever out and about in the parks, yeah. right? Because they don't want a kid to be able to see Mickey in two places. Like, there's two Mickeys. Yeah. Right? Just Disney attention to detail, like you said. All, All right. right. So I'm just going to run through the names just to give these people the credit that they're due. Uh, Paige O'Hara, as we said, plays Belle. Robbie Benson plays Beast. Uh, Jesse Cordy plays LeFou. Who I thought, by looking at his picture, I thought he was the bad guy in Kindergarten Cop. But he wasn't. It does <laughs> look like him, though. Uh, Rex Everhart is Maurice. And that's enough. And that's enough. Well, well Chris, you might like I this. Wanted... Robbie Benson, who was the Beast, uh, directed three years of Friends. I saw that. I, I thought you might like, like that. Three yeah, it was three yeah. years. And the directors, Gary Trousdale and Kirk Wise, uh, they have a lot of other Disney movies under their belt. You know what? Let's add it. Chris, you made a suggestion, and I want to do this. I think we could start with this. You wanted to add, for this movie in particular, best song. Yes. All right. I think my best song, although there are a lot of good songs. They're all good. They're all good. No, no, no. There's one that's boring, which is the Beauty and the Beast song. <laughs> oh, uh, it's a good song. Okay. I'll, I'll let that stand. My favorite song is the Gaston I song. I knew you Absolutely. would love the Gaston Hands song. Hands down. Because how many... Fabulously wonderful, <laughs> wonderfully aggressive and masculine lines come from that song. This movie, I'm sorry, there's a line in this song that made me okay with myself <laughs> when I was in the seventh grade. You eat five right, dozen so eggs? I, no. <laughs> when he's all proud about every last inch of me's covered with hair. <laughs> oh, yeah. For those of you that don't know me, I'm an excessively hairy person. Chris is gay. This is from the seventh grade. Like I was twelve years old and ridiculously <laughs> covered in hair. With, and, and this that line in that movie is what made me confident enough to be okay with being hairy. That's amazing. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Gaston, for your life lessons. And here's a reason why I hate the live action remake of this movie. Yeah, they they PC it, don't they? They pulled that line out of the damn movie. Yeah, you I, can't. Be I hairy, actually really like the live action version of this movie. Stop it. It's auto-tuned, the whole movie. Terrible. They don't care. Anyway, let's get. I need a few quotes from this. Um, in a spitting match, nobody spits like Gaston. I'm especially so good, good at expectorating. Expectorating. Sorry. <laughs> As he bites a piece of leather off a belt and spits it. <laughs> what about? As a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating. My what I got that Gaston. I use antlers <laughs> in all of my decorating. That's <laughs> so good. What when about I was a boy I thank ate you. four dozen eggs every, every morning, morning to help me get large. And, and now that I'm grown, I eat five dozen eggs, eggs. So I'm roughly the size of a barge. <laughs> I love the I love the emphasis, emphasis on the G at the end. Uh 40-year-old men just loving this movie. <laughs> Singing Disney songs. Phenomenal. <laughs> Everybody's questioning our sanity. Which right also, now. by the way, that's not just the best song. That's the best scene in the movie. Yeah, it's great sing. It's a, it, you know it reminds us. Of, you know, I think of like a, a bar song. You know, sing along. Everyone's singing along. Yeah, yes. That's why it fits our bill. All right, do, are we since we did a best song? Are we doing worst songs or no? No, this is not a worst song. This is, I know this is not a worst really anything movie. I don't want to talk much negativity about this movie personally. I, then, I I will say though I did have an issue. So 
the the song bon, it's not called bonjour but this song you know bonjour bonjour and that, that starts off the whole movie yeah. it's a great way to kick off the movie it's fun it teaches you who they are uh but for some reason bell but bell shits on them so <laughs> she calls yeah, she don't want to be there she doesn't want to be oh, there she they calls don't want them little there. people is that why yeah, whatever. Yeah. But that's not my issue with it. My issue with it is, so later in the movie, Gaston comes to marry her, just like he just assumes she's going to just marry her. Well, he's him. Gaston. He's whatever. the, he's the uh, stereotypical <laughs> aggressive <But> male. <laughs> that's not my issue. But after he leaves, she continues with that song. And I felt like that was such a good spot put in a new song. Yeah. That's the only issue I have with this whole movie. I don't, know. Uh, I don't think that's a valid issue, but go on. Okay. Uh, I was looking. I was looking. I, Best scene. I wrote the Gaston song. Yeah, the Gaston song. The, but the whole part leading up to that, though, him having his whole tantrum, like, oh, why doesn't she want me? <laughs> Uh, Eric, best scene? I have two best scenes. Um, Disney is known for throwing in these little adult parents only love moments. Love it. And there's a scene, you know, during the Bonjour song where the guy goes, How is your wife? And the guy's just straight up, like, eyes deep in this girl with very oversized breasts. And the wife behind him knocks him on the head with the bread. <laughs> and it yeah. goes by in maybe a second, but. Adults pick that up, and I, I always love the uh, the little hidden things by Disney. And then the other best scene I have is when the beast is eating with Belle for the first time, and he just, like, dives into the porridge or whatever it is <laughs> all over his face, is dripping from him, and he looks so across the table like, oh, you know. Yeah. I like and that. And Belle scene. is, like, aghast. Yeah. No, no, she's very, polite. Just... She's very polite about it, and she picks up her yeah, cup. Yeah, but she's got, like, this shocked look yeah. on her face. I guess we could do the worst scene because well, I only you didn't do your best scene. Oh, I did the Gaston song. I, I just want to add the the scene where Maurice is trying to find his way to the town and he gets lost in the woods. I thought that was really well done. Like it's actually kind of scary. Like if you sit back and look at it through the lens yeah, of a child, sure, it's scary. He gets to the house and Mister Clocks with him, Lemure, are like they're talking and he he's he's like nervous and it's just a nice little build up there's anticipation it, it's just a good little scene in a yeah, movie when he first gets into the cat look uh, you could point introducing to everything you could point to any scene in this movie like i like this i like that yeah, like i like them right. all pretty much you know what i mean you're right um i guess what my worst scene is the only time i was bored and i was only bored for like three minutes it's when they were dancing to the beauty and the beast thing songs excuse me yeah but you got to give that to the little girls yeah okay i i'm but he's nitpicking i realize it's nitpicking but i was bored for like three minutes i like that scene see i actually like this scene because during the scene as they're kind of falling for each other they kind of show the the pictures of the cherubs in the sky and they're kind of changing things are getting better it's kind of showing the progression i like that yeah, there's a point to everything right. they do in this movie. I also made Wait, that. What did you say with it? What's changing? The cherubs in the ceiling, as they're kind of falling for each other, the things in the castle are, are getting a little better, a little happier. And, and I actually always like that little illusion in the sky. All right. So I did have another issue, one other issue. So I really feel like the 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 changing of time in this movie is very poorly done. Like, I don't understand how much time is elapsing. Was she there for one night, two nights, a year? I don't know. I yeah. couldn't tell. Yeah. Right. I think it's a it couple honestly days, feels, but they don't tell right, you for it, sure. It feels like it. it's only one night, but then in another moment, it feels like she's been there for a long time. So I, I just don't know. Well, I think that it wasn't a very long time, but I think that at one point they try and portray it like it was a long time. Like when they're having a snowball fight, yeah. it seems like she's been there for a while, but then the father goes back. 
and immediately starts recruiting help for right, to get right, his right. daughter back. It's a bit confusing, but I wanted to say before that this movie's able to make it a, make itself a good movie in the sense that it had characters with real purpose and motivation. So there's no reason I'll make one example and leave it at that. There's no reason for Belle to like the beast, right? No. Until she runs out the front door, gets on the horse, gets attacked by the wolves, and the beast comes and saves her, right? But it's not only that. Then she tends to his wounds. He's still being an asshole. They're still not liking each other until, like, they start to have this back-and-forth argument where, like, they both realize they have decent points and then, like, kind of take a step back and look at each other and you know, appreciate what, what, what each other's doing for one another. And I thought that... That's how you progress a story with with reason and purpose. Like some of the movies we watch that aren't animation can't even do that. Yeah. And this movie, this this animated cartoon took the 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 time to make a coherent story with 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 again purpose and reason. And it didn't take, even take that much time. It's 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 minimal effort, and it makes a big difference. Yes, I, I had so, notes anyway. that that yeah, I totally agree with that. Where you know you actually see the in, I don't know if it's internal conflict, but you see in the beast him going from this hard and conceited person, and you see him softening slowly through the movie. And they did a very good progression. And as Chris always points out, he likes movies with character growth. You know, his character growth, you know, it's it's obvious. I thought that as an adult watching it, because I haven't watched this movie from start to finish in a long time, and sitting down watching this movie, I had a great time, number one. But number two, I was like, wow, the Beast is extremely angry. Yeah, and there are there are some scenes of real violence in this movie. Oh, not towards anyone. No, are you kidding me? Between Gaston oh. and the Beast? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Gaston is the quintessential, total ass of a man, overpowering, overmanly, over everything. Overbearing. Over, over the top. At. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that we, we're not going to PC this conversation because I, I like Gaston, even though he was the, you know, he was the dick, I guess, which we're not supposed to say talking about a children's movie, but... I don't have another word for it until he goes to rally the town to murder the beast. I liked, I appreciated him up until that. He's point. straight up forcing uh, her to marry him, pushing her against the wall. He's very aggressive. But she was capable. She was. What do you? What do you, What do you want to do? You want to cancel Gaston? Oh no! Well, by the way, no. I'm just pointing no. out the characteristics. But, That's all I'm saying. But I think Kevin makes a good point, though, right? So he he doesn't force her. He tries to get her to. And she knocks him on his ass. Yeah, she was capable in defending herself. Of course, yeah. yes, she so, was. He so was. He, he was gets, also. He gets his. So it, yeah, it's okay. he was also a bit of an idiot. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like he, it's like he's a little bit like um, incapable. But anyway, um, why don't we do this? Since since I want to fanboy a little bit more, who's your favorite ancillary character? Mrs. Potts. See, I didn't. I don't want. I don't want you to do that. Why? Because my favorite ancillary character is my best role in this movie. Oh, so then let's do best role, worst role. Right. Best role? Go ahead, Chris. Philippe. Oh, that's that's why that's easily my worst role. Easily. Why, why is Philippe the worst role? It's, Can I Philippe's tell you why? an idiot. The, the horse? The, the horse? Yeah. Can I tell I you why? I know who Philippe is. Can I tell you why he's yeah, not? Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, you ready? I'm ready. I know what you're going to say. So Philippe's the unsung hero of this movie. Why? Because, number one... He he does what Maurice is telling him to do, even though Philippe's like trying to convince Maurice, no, this is not the right way to go. But you know he's loyal to Maurice. Maurice gets in trouble. 
What does Philippe do? He runs home and he gets Bell. He gets Bell and he brings Bell back. Bell gets captured. Philippe then has to take Maurice home. But what does Philippe do? He doesn't stay with Maurice. He goes back and he waits outside the castle. He's waiting there so long that when Bell comes storming out to go and run away from the, for the castle, there's Philippe there to carry her away. So then she gets hurt because of the wolves. The beast saves her. But you want to know something? Philippe never leaves. He waits there the whole time to save her. All right. Philippe's not an idiot, but also... That's a solid argument, Chris. I'm not going to argue with you. I mean, everything you said was very valid. So well thought out. <laughs> very well thought out. Everyone in this room is actually maybe a little smarter for listening to what yeah. you just said. Overruled. Philippe is the number one. He's he's just the man. Sorry. All right. All right so well, who's your worst role? You know what? Well, if you well, want to pick a worst role, the guy from the insane asylum, he looked like he was like a zombie. And also, it, why was he it was so, out of place? Oh, he, no, it actually makes sense for him to be so evil. He, the money. That's yeah, right. Like, yeah, it was. He was out of place. <laughs> well, what about right, what anyway. about LeFou Le as a worst role? You know, I love no, LeFou. Love, love LeFou. But he he's he's a why he, a little sidekick. He, what is Gaston Don Quixote's sidekick's you know? name? That's who he is. Don Quixote. You don't know about Don Quixote. So Don Quixote, he, he thinks he's this. He fights the, windmills. The, I don't know it. Oh, my God. Yeah. He fights. Don't know story. So Don Quixote thinks he's like this awesome swordsman and he's out on all these adventures, but he's not. But he has this this friend who just keeps encouraging him, even though he knows he's crazy. That's who LeFou is. I, I can't remember the friend's name. Yeah, but LeFou actually kind of liked to shit on Gaston when he got the chance. Like little, little digs at him. Gaston treated him like dirt. No, but I love LeFou. He he's great. Yeah, they're all. I I think I think Lumiere is my favorite secondary character. And can I say Josh Gad as LeFou in the in the live action movie? Yeah, that was. The, he's the only good thing about. Yeah, that, that movie. was good. I remember him. But he, I like that kid. He's uh, in yeah. tw- in the movie Twenty One. That's a good movie. He's also in Frozen as Olaf. So. Stop. Uh, are we done here? We could fanboy out as long as we want yeah. about Beauty and the Beast. I think at this point, now it's getting inappropriate. <laughs> I got I got a couple it's, of my... It's become worrisome. <laughs> I've got a couple of my, you know, my research notes if you want to hear some interesting tidbits. Uh, oh, I, yeah, okay. Go ahead, kick it off. I have yeah. one or All two. All right, so um, Paige O'Hare, when she auditioned for um, Belle, kept having a piece of hair drop in front of her face during the audition, and the, the director loved it so much, or the um, animators loved it so much, they put that in the movie. So you always see her hair drop down in front. That's actually an ode to Paige O'Hare. Uh, Jackie Chan did the dub version in Mandarin for the Chinese version of this movie. Nice. Uh, of the Beast. He was the Beast. Um, also, when um, Belle's dad gets lost in the woods and he sees the sign... And he can't read the sign. He chooses to go which way. Uh, the sign in the wood, if you look real close, is Anaheim, which is where Disneyland is in California. Okay. And that, that, those are my little tidbits. Nice. Uh, I also have, as far as the animation goes, they, they developed the story for six months, uh, brought it to the directors, and they scrapped six months of work and had them start over and change the leadership. Uh, and the original version, the first six months that they that they designed and everything planned out was not a musical. Wow, like, that's that's a good scrap. Yeah, yeah. solid had, had solid restart. Yeah, I want to know: is this the reason why they continued to make musicals? Well, I, uh, Little Mermaid. Right, but, oh. but this came after the Little Mermaid, and they weren't going to make it a musical. But, but then... they were all of Disney stuff in the beginning. All the animation were mu- had yeah, musical numbers. So. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. 
All it's right. kind of odd for them to make one that's not a musical. All right. So all, let's let's do the recap. Uh, Adam's family. Would you recommend it? No. Not really. No. You're not gonna. You're not gonna have fun with that. I say no. Beauty and the Beast. Would you recommend it? Of course. You've, 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 you've already times. seen it. I recommend seeing it again. <laughs> and lastly, uh, Cape Fear. Would you recommend it? If you haven't seen it, go watch it now because this was. This is one of those movies that I've never seen, and I'm so happy about doing this podcast. Yeah, you, you definitely have to see this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen this movie before, and it's been a long time, and I don't remember being this entertained. As entertained as I was watching Cape Fear, I have not been that entertained by a movie in quite some time. So that says a clear lot. recommendation. Absolutely. All right, coming up next month. Next month is a banner month for movies. Bangerang month? Well, it's but, almost a, no. It's not. It's not a treat for us because we got to watch like a movie in there. I don't want to watch. Well, so all right. So aside from the top three, we have Bugsy, The Last Boy Scout. If you haven't seen mm. The Last Boy Scout with Bruce, with Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis yes. The Last Boy Scout is endlessly quotable. <laughs> we also have Father of the Bride. We have JFK. We have The Prince of Tides, and then we have. Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country, top three. Oh God, it's just Father just, of the anything Bride. Anything with a Star Trek on is going to make money. That's annoying to me. Yeah. Father of the Bride is top three, and then the movie that we've all been waiting for, and by all I mean me, Chris, and Eric, <laughs> is Hook. <laughs> so excited! Which is to a watch fan favorite again. here at Be Kind, Please. Run. Listen, listen, that is the movie. I don't know. Look, I, I listened to a movie, uh, a podcast the other day, Bad Dads Review Movies or something like that. And these guys are really good and, and really entertaining. But one of them doesn't like Robin Williams. And I was trying to dive through my, my stereo, my car radio to uh, to get in there and choke him. This man is a surrogate father of sorts to me. Like I've come up with Robin Williams teaching me about love and kindness and acceptance and and. I just I I want nothing more than to be able to hug Robin Williams. So how you could dislike him, I have no idea. Does, is he a little over the top at times when he's not? You know, it's a little much. Sure, but you know, you, t- you have not everybody. Nobody's perfect, right? So the man's brilliant. I actually listened to so, a podcast the other day too, and they actually were talking about Hook, and they didn't have many nice things to say about it. And uh, I didn't make it through the end of that podcast to be honest with you because I couldn't hear it. Didn't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. I can't. I can tell you, I've listened to many a podcast talk about Hook, and none of them like Hook. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't get it either. Yeah, because you can look. Because you. That's can, my dad. You could be cynical. You could be cynical and say it's not a good movie. It's got flaws it's this it's that you could do that for sure you could have done that with beauty and the beast you could do that with anything you could hate on anything if you think that it's a popular opinion to hate or or it's entertaining or you're gonna get likes or followers or whatever from hating on something that's good then you know if that's your thing fine but this movie is it's just it's like it's like homemade chocolate chip cookies. It's you know, it's a it's a warm cup of soup. It's it's any of those things for, from your childhood that make you feel good and loved and 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 warm. And if you don't like it, I mean, you're just a hater, in my opinion. I agree with you. Too many of these podcasts, people are ripping on things, and and I truly enjoy the ones where they actually are praising movies and telling me how great they are, and you kind of get more into it and more excited to watch movies. I want to watch movies. Yeah. So, all right, gentlemen, it was a fun one. That was this good. was a lot of good fun time, today, boys. Guys. Thanks, and uh, see you guys later. See you next time. Goodbye.